Joining us in the classroom today is best-selling author Damon West, who's going to tell us all about what it takes to be a coffee bean. And Coach Weaver, I'm super excited that we've been able to line this one up. Direct message on Twitter. The coffee bean is killing it right now, and it's a message every leader in America needs to hear. Yeah, you see that Damon's going around to all these college campuses. Uh, he was just with Oklahoma, and Jalen Hurts was sitting on the front row, and uh, the reporters were asking him about something, and the first thing he said uh, was, I'm going to be a coffee bean. And those reporters had no idea what they were talking about, so they went to go dig and dig and dig, and they found out where this story came from. And what a what an honor it is to have Damon come on our show and share his story of where he's been, to where he went through, to where he is now. Uh, just an awesome story that I'm ready for our listeners to dive into. You know, and I remember uh, when we first talked about getting him on or when we first talked about being a coffee bean, I'm a reader, but right now we're in season. We don't have a lot of time right now. School's starting back up. Or we're, You've already played two games. We just had our scrimmage. It's game week for us now. And it's like the last thing that we need to sit down and do is read a book leading into this interview. But the best part about being a coffee bean is it's a really simple idea, and you can read the book in about a half hour's time if you carve that out. Yeah, I mean, I did that. Our baseball coach handed it to me, and he, has, he, he just posed the question to me. He said, are you a coffee bean? I had no idea what he was talking about. Well, then he's like, let me bring you the book. He brought me the book. I read it, brought it back to him. He goes, are you a coffee bean? I said, absolutely, I'm a coffee bean. And I've shared it with two other coaches, and they've shared it with their team. I'm sharing it with my wide receivers uh, and how we want to transform things. And Damon will get in that with us as we sink our teeth into not a carrot, not an egg, but a coffee bean. And, and the best part for our listeners is, as you listen to Damon, tell his story, which is incredible. It'll keep you on the edge of the seat. He's a phenomenal storyteller. Uh, but the best part is, is you're actually going to be able to walk away with five takeaways on what you can do to be a coffee bean yourself. So really excited to get Damon in the classroom, and uh, let's get into it, Coach Reader. your time coming on the show oh man hey i'm, I'm thrilled to do it man I, I was agonizing over that whole idea of how to reschedule it and, and put it to another date it, it freaks me out when i start dropping balls man i, I don't do it often so thank uh, you for working with me guys yeah your schedule is a lot tighter than ours right now we're just a couple of football coaches well y'all do an important thing man. there's a billy graham quote that says uh, a coach will reach more people in, in one year than the average person does in a lifetime. So you got an important job ahead. Yeah, that's so true. Um, man, really appreciate you coming on the show with us. And, you know, the, the level of excitement, I know there's a backstory to everything, but the level of excitement across the country right now with the coffee bean and you going to these other schools and sharing your testimony and how you can be transformed uh, to these college coaches, to these college teams. Uh, it, it's just remarkable for me to see how it is influencing athletics slash humans slash whatever across our country. Yeah, it, it's, been, it's been amazing, John. It, you know, it, it, it's a God thing. I, I call these things God things, but 
this story was given to me by an inmate in Dallas County Jail. And it was just to know that it, where it's gone, uh, just in a few short years. I've been out of prison, you know, a little less than four years. But, you know, to have someone like Dabo Sweeney pick up the message and run with it and tell a guy like John Gordon, hey, you got to get in touch with Damon West with his coffee bean story. And then John Gordon calling me out of the blue. And that is really with the connection of John Gordon where the coffee bean message really got catapulted into the stratosphere. It's a whole other atmosphere because John Gordon's name and, and the, the reputation he's built up over the years to attach this message guarantees that that message will be seen so far and wide. It, it's amazing to see, John. Yeah. Well, and here's what I want to get to. We talked a little earlier on the phone, but give me a little bit of your backstory on, and I've read some stuff, um, and you have another book out called The Change Agent, which was your first book, which is a precursor to The Coffee Bean. But tell us a little bit about uh, where you've been, um, where this journey has taken you, and that, that you know the same, some of the same stuff that you share with these teams, uh, with us to our listeners on The Culture Classroom. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a town called Port Arthur, Texas, and Port Arthur is down on the Gulf Coast of Texas. It's on the Louisiana-Texas border, right there in the corner. And, you know, I grew up, I had a great life, but Port Arthur is a blue-collar town. It's a refinery town, predominantly African-American town. So my father was a sports writer there for 50 years, uh, a guy named Bob West. He's still alive. So my, both of my parents are still alive. My dad was a sports writer for 50 years, and he was the first sports writer in that part of the state to put black athletes on the front page of the football section. And, and, and until that time, it wasn't done. And the first athlete that he put on there is in 1971. It was a guy named Joe Washington. And Joe was a real real big running back. And But when he did that, he caused an uproar back in Port Arthur. He's got a box of hate mail at home to show, you know, what taking a stand was like. He had, you know, my older brother Brandon, my younger brother Grayson. We've all had to read through the hate mail to, to understand what taking a stand was like and what it's like to do the morally right thing. And so my mother, Jenny's a nurse and... and so I grew up in a nice, wonderful home with God was at the center of everything. My mom was one of those moms that had a prayer plaque or a cross in every room in the house. She couldn't escape God in my mom's house. You still can't. There's crosses everywhere. And so we have our issues, too, like anybody else's family. You know, in 1985, I was nine years old. I came out and told my parents that my babysitter had been molesting me. And, you know, this was childhood sexual abuse back in the 80s. They didn't know as much about it back then as they know now. So... But my parents loved me. They did everything they could. They sent me to counseling. They sent me to talk to the family priest, and, and we prayed about it. But something inside that little nine-year-old boy went to a really dark place. And by the time I was 10, I got into substance abuse. And, and I'm an addict today, guys. John, John, I'm, I'm an addict. And, and, but I, today I have a program of recovery so I can deal with my addiction. I can live a normal life. But being in recovery, I know now that's what's called the activating event. And so... As a 10-year-old, I start putting in chemicals to change the way I feel. I'm, I'm putting in, I'm drinking my dad's beer out of the fridge. I'm going to friends' houses and sneaking in their parents' liquor cabinets. I'm smoking cigarettes, a lot of adult behaviors. I'm having sex when I'm 12. By the time I'm 12, I'm smoking pot. So now I'm into criminal addictive behavior at a very early age. And, uh, you know, the thing about that is, the worst part about it, that I tell programs all the time, football players and kids all over the country, high schools, junior highs, church groups, whoever will listen to it, the worst part about this story is that this bad belief system that I have is taking over. And, and a bad belief system, the longer we hold on to bad belief systems, 
the harder they are to get rid of. I know you talk to your players about these things, these bad belief systems. And my bad belief system with the kid was, all I'm doing is drinking a little beer, smoking a little pot. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not even hurting myself. But big things in life don't start out as big things. They start out as something small. And I can trace everything in my life, you know, the substance abuse, the, the crime, the getting a life sentence in prison for organized crime, for breaking into people's houses. I can trace all of that back to a can of beer and a joint. See, it, it starts off with something small, guys. And that's what I tell these players all the time. You know, you think just drinking today or you, you just smoke a little pot. And, and pot, you know, sometimes a cultural deal for a lot of groups. But it can turn into something big and get out of control. You know, so I had, I had a lot of character issues developing. But I can throw a football really well, guys. And, and in Texas, y'all, y'all are pretty familiar with Texas high school football, I assume, correct? Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's king. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably no different than Mississippi football. I tell people that in every state, man. In the South, football is king in these high schools. And so I was a three-year starting quarterback for my 5A school. I got a scholarship to play ball at the University of North Texas. Uh, but when I got to North Texas, which is about six hours away from Port Arthur, Denton, um, you know, the wheels kind of came off a little bit. I really only cared about two things. That was partying and, and being the starting quarterback for my Division One team. And I did both really well. But, you know, life is going to hand you hand these days, y'all, that I call fork in the road days. These fork in the road days are days that life's knocks you down. And when you get back up and dust yourself off, the world either looks different because place, things are in different places. You got hit so hard. On September 21st, 1996, I came to this giant fork in the road in my life. And that was on Kyle Field that day. We were playing against Texas A&M. I'm 20 years old. I'm the starting quarterback. And, you know, I take the field that day thinking, man, this is it. I finally arrived. Here I am. And by the third play of the game, I go down, and I never play college football again. I separated my shoulder on Kyle Field that day. They had to go in, you know, cut the end of my collarbone out. I never played college football again, guys. And at that fork in the road in life, you know, I got up and dusted myself off, and football's gone. The biggest and most important thing in my life, because I put all my eggs in the one basket. My identity was wrapped up in being a college football player. And, and I was mad at the world, guys. I was mad at God. I was mad at the world. And the first thing I did was kick God out of the car. Like, man, if that's the best you can do, drive my car, get out. And and that's when I started to change that bad belief system. But it was just drinking a little beer, smoking a little pot. Now I'm putting in the hardcore stuff, cocaine, ecstasy, pills. Man, I'm putting in anything I can to change the way I feel because I don't like being Damon West anymore. And somehow, by the grace of God, I graduated college in uh, 1999. I moved to Washington, D.C. I get a job working in the United States Congress. I work in the Capitol building every day. I leave that job and go work for a guy running for president of the United States. I'm raising money for him. In 2004, when he drops out of the race for president, I moved back to Dallas, Texas, where I trained to be a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland. And it was at that job as a broker, guys, and I was introduced to methamphetamine for the first time. And, and guys, methamphetamine, and, 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 and I'm sure in Mississippi, y'all deal with meth, too. I mean, in a lot of places, this is an epidemic. This is the most evil, most addictive, most destructive drug ever created by man. And, guys, I smoked that drug one time, and I was instantly hooked. I was up for four days, and I never looked back, guys. And I tell, tell audiences everywhere I go, if you don't remember anything I'm saying, remember this, man. This is, this is the most evil, most addictive, most powerful, most destructive drug ever created by man. And, guys, I went from working on Wall Street to living in the streets of Dallas. And that's when my life really took a turn for the worse. And, and, you know, my story from there 
It's about crime and addiction, and it, it, it's, it's a wild ride, guys. The, the book, The Change Agent, goes into to all the life and addiction. I wrote the book because I wanted it to, I wanted people to see what addiction was like. I wanted them to see that the monster that I became. I was a bad guy, and I broke into a lot of people's homes. And you know, when I when I broke into these people's homes, I didn't just steal their property. I stole their sense of security, and I, I don't know if they ever get that back. And so. That's something they have to live with for the rest of their lives, and so do I. But on July 30th, 2008, a Dallas SWAT team came into the apartment where this place I was living, a little old run-down apartment, and they came in, and the flashbang grenade goes off, and that uptown burglaries came to an end on July 30th, 2008. They had their man. They had me zipped out of the floor of that old apartment. And uh, that's what I tell people all the time. It wasn't just the day I was arrested, July 30th, 2008. That was the day I was rescued. I got me out of a situation I couldn't get myself out of, guys. Mm. Wow, that's such a powerful story. First of all, thank you for sharing your vulnerability with us and our listeners. Um, I think that's one of the things I'm working on as a football coach is how do I show my athletes that I'm just a human and I make bad decisions and poor choices also. Um, And uh, I think to hear you say those things and then see the success the coffee bean has done totally puts things into perspective. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I've got, you know, I've got more to it, but I wanted to be able to to take a step back and breathe and let, you, let, you, let your listeners breathe a little bit because, you know, the story's just cranking up. You know, we just, <laughs> we just want to get them introduced to this Damon West that you want to know about the background. So, you know, I wanted to take you all to a certain point, pause, and let, you know, we'll go back and forth a little bit, and I'll jump right back in. But I wanted to... Uh, okay. But I want to get that out there, you know, because, look, I mean, I can't tell the entire story and give that message of hope and perseverance and the change that comes from within if I don't tell you the bad parts, too, because the bad parts have to be told, and I can't gloss over them. That's part of me. Right. That's, so, what, uh, well, that's it, like we tell our guys, you, and this is it. You, in order to grow, there has to be some sense of failing in your life, some absolutely. adversity that helps you grow to another level. Absolutely. Absolutely, guys. And that's the thing, man. We don't, and part of what I'm about to tell is, you know, you, you can't win all your battles in life. You're going to have to lose, but you got to learn lessons from those losses. So, you know, that day, July 30th, 2008, man, that, that was a, a life-changing event. But it really didn't get through to me at that point. When they took me down to jail and booked me in, they put me in a holding cell for the first 24 hours and, and I sat around with one thought going through my head, but and that thought wasn't about my victims, and it wasn't about my family. Well, our, our families are the worst victims, guys. I mean, it, we drag our families in addiction. We drag our families through the worst stuff because we're very selfish in our addiction. I tell people all the time that that addicts aren't bad people; they're sick people that do bad things. And so, and I had I had been doing a lot of bad things, living in my addiction. And so here I am in county jail, and and you know after 24 hours of holding. They come by and get me, and they put me in one of the worst pods they can find. And within 24 hours of that, I'm in my first fight, man, over a breakfast tray. And and I'm scared to death, guys. I, I mean, I'm scared. I'm not a big guy. I'm not a, I'm not a great fighter. And this is a whole new environment for me. So I want to call home. I'm almost reverting back to a childlike state. So I want to call home. I call back to my parents' house in Port Arthur where they're living. And, uh, you know, my dad answers the phone. And my dad from an older generation of men, guys. He, he's, he's in his 70s. I've never seen my dad cry. 
But I heard him cry one time, and that was whenever he answered the phone when I called him from jail in 2008. And, man, he was screaming crying like, like a wounded animal. I didn't even recognize my dad's voice. And he's saying, how did we go so wrong? How did we mess up so bad? What could we have done different? And so, man, he's crying, and, and now I'm crying because I broke my old man. So my mom snatches the phone out of my dad's hand. She says, baby, listen. She said, your dad can't talk right now. I've never seen him like this before in my life. She said, but we need to have a serious conversation. She said, you need to understand that we love you unconditionally. She said, there's nothing you can do to make us not love you, Damon. She said, that was the deal we made with God when he loaned you to us. She said, do you understand that we loved you unconditionally? And, uh, you know, through the tears, I told my mom, I was like, yeah, mom, I understand you love me unconditionally. And she said, that's good, baby, because we just gave you back to God. She said, there's nothing we can do for you anymore, Damon. She said, you are now a captive audience to God, and you better start listening. And then she asked me a wow. question. She said, Damon, do you remember that prayer plaque that I had on your wall as a kid growing up? Remember I was telling y'all about my mom having all these crosses and, and prayer plaques everywhere, her devotion to the Lord? Well, that, that she's asking me about the one that was above my bed on, on, on Roanoke Street, my bedroom on, on Port, in Port Arthur, where I grew up all my life. And, and guys, I had been out on this meth, this dope, for four years, man. My brain doesn't even fire right. So I, I answered my mom back, and I was like, Mom, no, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. And she said, baby, it was Footprints in the Sand. She said, do you remember the story of Footprints in the Sand? And, you know, through the tears, I told my mom, I was like, Mom, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm so sorry. She said, baby. So she patiently and lovingly retold me the story of Footprints in the Sand. About a guy walking on the beach with Jesus, right? And she said, they're, they're walking on the beach, and they're watching a video of his life way out in the sky. She said, and every time something good happened in that man's life, there's two sets of footprints on that beach walking side by side. She said, but every time something bad happens, there's pain, there's hurt, there's suffering, and there's loss. When he loses his football career, the guy sees one set of footprints. So finally, the guy calls God out, calls Jesus out, and says, hey, man, what's going on, man? Every, every time something good happens in my life, you're walking with me side by side. I can see the footprints, you know? But every time something bad happens, you abandon me. I see one set of footprints. What's up? And she said, that's when, when God laughed and said, you know, Damon, you're a fool. Every time you saw one set of footprints, I didn't abandon you. I carried you, boy. She started screaming like a football coach, you know? She's screaming at me to make the point. She said, Damon, look down in that jail cell right now. There's one set of footprints, and they are not yours. She said, get on God's back. I don't want to lose my son. So, y'all, that night I started praying to a God that I hadn't talked to in years, man. And since I got hurt in college football 12 years before. But this isn't some kind of road to Damascus moment. This isn't, this isn't a jailhouse conversion story. That's... That's a whole different story, guys. My prayer, I'd get on my knees. I was in jail for 10 months before my trial. And every night for 10 months, I'd say the same prayer. I'd, I'd get on my knees, guys. Boy, I'm, I'm real. You know, dear God, please, get me out of this jam. And if you do, and that's the whole point, right? I'm bargaining with God. Like, like God waits for me to get up every morning. Like I'm that important. So, dear God, please, get me out of this jam. If you do, I'll be a normal guy again. I'll go get a job, and I'll just smoke meth on the weekends, man. I got this, God. Well, that prayer never hit his inbox. It's like a spam email. You don't even open those things, man. So, And I know for sure it didn't because 10 months later when I went to that trial, and a jury of my peers had sat there for six days and listened to testimony. Six days, guys, is a long criminal trial. And at the end of six days, the jury deliberated for 10 whole minutes on my punishment. And I don't know how much law and order you guys watch, but if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, 
they smoked you. I mean, they just, they leveled you. And when the judge read the sentence back, he said, Damon Joseph West, you are hereby sentenced to 65 years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Man, that took my breath away, guys. That's a life sentence. Anything 16 above is life. The jury gave me the maximum on my first felony conviction. And that's what I tell audiences everywhere. Guys, if this could happen to me with all the opportunities, love, and support that I've had in life, it could happen to anybody. And so when the sentencing was over, I mean, everything sped up after that. And so the, the bailiffs take me out of there. They throw me in this little side room. I got a bulletproof glass right there uh, in the room they put me in. They tell me to wait. Five minutes later, my parents walk in. They give them one last visit with me. And it's going to be an important visit, but it's not coming from my dad. My dad's in stunned disbelief. He's stoic. He can't even speak. So my mom does all the talking. And she says, baby, she said, death in life demand to be paid. And she said, you just got hit with one hell of a bill from the state of Texas. She said, you did the things they said you did at that trial. So you have to pay that debt to society. And she said, you owe a debt to your father and I, too. She said, we gave you all the opportunity to be anything you wanted to be in this life. She said, this is how you repay it. She said, that's not going to work, Damien. She said, so here's the debt you're going to pay to your father and I. She said, when you go to prison, uh, she said, you're going to get all God's back like we told you to. She said, but you will not get one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type gangs, because you're scared because you're the minority. She said, that's not going to work, Damien. You were not raised to see race, to, to see race. She said, you were raised in a giant melting pot of the city, Fort Arthur, Texas. And she said, we gave you a great moral compass, which you chose to not use, but you're going to pull that compass out again. She said, so you will not get one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type gangs. And she said, you will not get any tattoos while you're in there either. And so, guys, I show guys my arms and, and my body all the time because I was in there for almost 10 years in, in, the, in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And I, I never got any tattoos while I was in there. And so my mom said, she said, no gang. No tattoos. She said, you come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. And this is tough love coming from my mom. And so she said, do you understand this debt you're going to pay? And I said, yes, mom, I do. But I had no clue what I had promised because I'd never been to prison before. So when I got back to, to the, my pod in county jail, I started asking all these guys that had been to prison before, you know, how am I going to survive prison? And every single guy I'm talking to is, Black, white, Asian, Hispanic—they're telling me the same thing. Man, you just got—you 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 got sent to one of the worst parts of the Texas criminal justice system there is. Man, you got a life sentence. You're going to what's called the life sentence building, and the life sentence building is the building you go to where everybody's got a life sentence, and you don't even come off the building for five years. It says it's horrible, man. You got to get to a gang, man. You're never going to survive this otherwise. But there was this one guy. This older African-American guy named Jackson, I called him Mr. Jackson out of respect. And Mr. Jackson, he had been to prison four or five times. He was a seasoned convict in the 60s. And uh, Mr. Jackson, he, he was real positive. He would come by and check on me every day. So one particular morning, he comes up to me, and he says, Look, man, Wes, I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads and dummies. Talk about you got to get to a gang. He said, Do not listen to them. He said, He don't understand it, that you don't have to get to a gang to survive this. But... But you need to understand some things about prison. He said, the first thing about prison you need to understand is it's all about race. He said, prison everywhere is about race. That's the way the inmates want it. That's the way everybody wants it. He said, because it's all about race, he said, you're going to be challenged first by the white the white prison gangs when you get in there. So he's like the Aryan Brotherhood, the Aryan Circle, the White Knights, the Woods. He said, you're fighting them all. He said, and he said, if you survive all that and you don't give in to their ideology of hate out of fear, 
He said, then you're going to fight the white gangs because, I mean, then you're going to fight the black gangs because the black gangs are going to come after you too. He said, so, so the Crips and the Bloods and the gangster disciples, the Mandingo warriors, you have to fight all those guys. He said, you'll be on a island. You'll do this on your own. He said, but if you survive all that, you will earn the right to walk alone. He said, the strongest man in prison always walks alone. And this is where he told me about prison fighting, guys. He said, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. And that's a huge lesson in life, especially for athletes, guys, mm. because you can't win all your battles. You can't win all your games. You're going to lose, but you've got to get back up and get back in there. And, and Jackson is almost like a coach. He's like Coach Jackson to me at this point because he's about to deliver to me the most important lesson that I was going to get before I went to prison, and it's the lesson that I took with me that let me know everything was going to be okay. It was the lesson of the coffee bean. So he said, Wes, I want you to imagine prison as like a pot of warm water. He said, anything we put in that pot of warm water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. He said, I want to put three things in that pot of warm water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. He said, so first thing first, he said, if, if we put a carrot he said, that pot of warm water? He said, what happened? And I said, well, it turned soft. He said, that's right. The carrot goes into prison hard, but the water changes that carrot. He said, the carrot gets beat, he gets robbed, he may get raped, and he may get killed. He said, so you don't want to be the carrot. He said, what about the egg, Wes? And I said, well, the egg turns hard, Mr. Jackson. He said, that's right. He says, the egg is that hard outer shell, so physically the egg is fine. Eggs are fine physically. They're protected. But inside, that egg's soft liquid core, his heart, turns hard. He said, if your heart becomes hard, Wes, you're incapable of giving and receiving love. He said, if you were incapable of giving and receiving love, you would become institutionalized. He said, and you will not come back to someone your parents recognize if you become that egg. He said, what about the coffee bean? And guys, I had no clue. I had no clue about the coffee bean. So he laughed at me. And he, you know, he told me, he said, you know, Wes, for a college boy, you're not too smart. He said, if I put a coffee bean into that pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, now you're going to change the name of the water to coffee. He said, the coffee bean, the smallest of these three things, had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot. He said, if you were going to survive prison and come back as someone your parents recognize, you better be like that coffee bean. He said, everybody in life puts that energy, negative or positive. He said, whatever kind of energy you put out, you attract back. He's explaining to me the law of attraction. He said, so if you walk around prison negative all the time with a frown on your face, you want to look hard. He said, you're actually going to attract that same kind of inmate and have more problems. He said, and that can be a very dangerous, very deadly endeavor in there. He said, but Wes, if you walk around prison with a smile on your face all the time, and you let those guys know they're not getting to you, no matter what they do, they're not getting to you because you're smiling all the time. He said, you will change that prison from the inside out. He said, the best part about it is, is the other coffee beans in prison, the other positive person will find you because of your energy. And the last thing Mr. Jackson told me before I got out of that prison bus, was go out there west and go be that coffee bean. And so that's the second part of the story. We're coming up to the third part right now. But I'm off to prison, guys, at this point. I'm off to face my biggest fears. And it's, I'm telling you, man, without meeting Mr. Jackson, you're not talking to me today. Yeah, I was, and you know, we talked about this, but it's almost like you, when you listen to yourself or you talk to yourself. And we talked about when you listen to yourself, you're also yes. listening to all the how the, the outside influences, people filling your brain with stuff, and you're either coming soft, you're becoming hard of who you want to be, instead of talking to yourself and so, filling yourself with positive, um, you know, self-actualization, self-concept of you diving into who do you want to be, how do you want to transform your life, what do you want to look like, and that's what the coffee bean turns into, is you talk to yourself and Absolutely. you're transforming yourself. 
Absolutely, guys. You know, you're, you're spot on, John. I mean, that, that's, you, you couldn't be more right. And you've got to tell yourself, you've got to reaffirm to yourself all the time about, you know, what it is you're supposed to be doing in life. And you can't listen to the outside noises. I mean, that, that's noise. That's, that's, that's stuff you need to tune out. You know, so I get ready to go to prison. And in prison, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's nuts. It's wild. And guys, I probably get three dozen fights when I'm in prison. When I, first, I mean, between county jail and prison, three dozen fights. And I tell people all the time, I lost 75% of those fights. Physically lost 75% of those fights. But I won because I showed up. And all I had to do was show up. And so once I was done with the fighting, the fighting was brutal, guys. It took six weeks to get through a lot of the fighting. And, and then I got on the basketball court, and I started earning some respect out there. Where The basketball court is the most segregated place in prison. And so I get out there on the basketball court, and I'm playing out there, and I earn a lot of respect from the guys. And once the fighting is done, I'm about two months into it, I can feel myself becoming that egg, guys, and I don't want to be that egg. I don't. But, you know, and I, and I get mad. I'm mad at the world again. I'm mad at God because I can't find a way out of this rut of prison. And, and it, I've got to talk to myself. And I tell myself the same sentence that I heard from one of these speakers whenever I, I was in college. And the speaker said this sentence. He said, if it is to be, it is up to me. And, and, and if, it, if it is to be, it is up to me, is the most powerful sentence in the English language. It's only 20 letters long and 10 words, but it's a permission statement. It tells you to get up and go do something. You've got to meet God halfway anyway. You know, you've got to get up and go do something too. And that, that's talking to myself. I would tell myself that sentence all the time. And so I wanted to become that, that coffee bean so badly, and, and I felt the egg the egg thing happening because the egg is the natural evolution of a human being in a harsh environment like that. And so I finally figured it out though, guys, it didn't come with an instruction manual, but I, I figured out, I got down to the chapel and I, I got around men from the outside world that would mentor me and pray with me. And, and I learned, I figured out there's five ways to become a coffee bean guys. And this is the transformation. This is where the story changes from that warning about the danger of the drug and the consequence of bad decision. And it becomes a message of hope, a message of, of hope and, of, of hope and perseverance and, and winning against the greatest odds. Because, guys, in this country, we love, and we're American, man. We, we started out as the ultimate underdogs, you know, against the British, you know, over 200 years ago. But we won, and we, we love the underdog story. We love the story about a guy that gets beat around for, for 10 rounds and, and you know, for 12 rounds and gets up in the end and finally wins. And so this is where the transformation happens. This is where the change takes place, guys. So... I figured it out. So I get into, you know, changing myself. And it first it starts with a mindset change. You know, you have to change your mindset to do this, guys. You have to, yeah, I had to quit looking at prison as a punishment and start looking at prison as an opportunity. An opportunity to work on myself 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And people sometimes are like, man, how could you look at prison as an opportunity? It's prison. Yeah, but it's prison. But there I am, man. I've, I'll never have this chance in my life. 24 hours a day, seven days a week to work on Damon. So I did, guys. And so the first rule, I figured out there's five rules about being a coffee bean. So the first rule about being a coffee bean, guys, is it's all about your body language. You have to have positive body language. You have to get up every day and start your day because everybody's going to see your body language. Your body language speaks volumes before you ever open your mouth. And so what this means is that, guys, you have to put on a smile everywhere you go. It's like these guys I talk about all the time. When you mess up a play, if something happens, something doesn't go right, you know, don't come back to the huddle discouraged and mad, man. Come back to the huddle, man, excited, ready to get on that next rip because the, really the mistakes you've made are gone. You can't change those things. And your positive body language affects everybody around you.
you, man. So if you walk into every room and you've got a smile on your face, you will change that room because negative people don't want to be around positive people. And that positive body language will affect everybody in that room. Just like negative body language will do the same thing. But we want to push the negative out and enhance it with the positive. So the first rule about being a coffee bean is having positive body language. You have to start with that because that affects you. That's almost, John, what you were talking about, about talking to yourself. Because when you're smiling, when you're sitting there smiling, you have positive body language, that affects your disposition. You're gratitude. You have a lot of gratitude. You're grateful. And so the positive body language is the first part. The second rule about being a coffee bean is you have to get up every day and go get it, man. you got to go work out. And that doesn't mean just work out physically. That means work out in three areas, spiritually, emotionally, physically. You have to get in shape. And spiritual working out, you know, people say, what does it mean to spiritually work out? Well, spiritual working out means that you get up every day and you, you, you ask yourself at the end of each day, you have a conversation with God. You're like, God, hey, man, what – what do I need to do? Do I owe someone an apology? Do I owe an amends? Do I, was I a good person today? How did I put back in the stream of life? How was I a good person? And when you have that positive conversation with God, you, you know, you, you sit there and you, you make those amends. You make those changes in life. That's a spiritual workout and mentally working out. Mentally working out means what do you put in? You know, are you, what kind of books do you read? What kind of websites do you go to? What kind of videos do you watch? Who do you hang around? I tell these guys all the time, man, if you show me who you hang out with, I can tell you who you are. I know that by the people you keep. And y'all know that, guys. You know that from the, the, the company your players keep, man. Show me who you hang out with. I'll tell you who you are. And physically working out, man. Physically working out means taking care of yourself, you know, giving yourself enough rest and, and putting the right stuff in, working out hard. But coffee beans work out in three areas every day, not just physical, but spiritually, mentally, and physically. And the third rule about being a coffee bean is, guys, you have to understand what the secret to life is. The secret to life is not about you. The secret to life is about serving others and being humble. It's called servant leadership. And servant leadership is helping other people achieve their goals in life. You help raise other people up to a different station of life. Because when we are helping other people out, we're really helping ourselves. That's what life is all about. It's finding ways to put back in the stream of life, becoming a servant leader. And, and servant leadership is, is, is in many different ways. You find ways every day. My prayer to God each day changed once I got into recovery and once I learned what the secret to life was. My prayer to God each day back then and now, it's just, God, put in front of me what you need me to do today for you, and let me recognize it when I see it, because I don't want to miss that. I want to be able to see those things. And so that's the third rule about being a coffee bean. And the fourth rule about being a coffee bean is knowing what you do and not control. Guys, this was a tough one for me. I had to finally figure out that there's only four things that I control in life. And if I could concentrate on working in those four areas every single day, I could grow at a different rate. And I did. I figured it out, guys. But I learned. I mean, it's not like I figured it out. My own people told me that the four things that you control in life are what you think, what you say, what you feel, and most importantly, because everybody's going to see this, what you do. And so that's really it, guys. The four things you control in life are what you think, what you say, what you feel, what you do. Everything else outside of that is on God's line. And let God deal with those things. And if it's something that you can't think about, you know, you don't think, control, you don't think, say, feel, or do, then it's not yours to worry about anyway, and it'll be taken care of in some other way. So when I learned to give up control of things that I don't control anyway, it enhanced my life, and I grew, and I was able to be more productive and more valuable to people on the outside. And, you know, everybody took notice after that, guys. Everybody took notice. Parole took notice. The, you know, the prison people took notice. And November 16, 2015, they came by to see me in my cell, and they said, look, you know, we don't see a lot of people come through like you, so I've got one question for you. If you could be remembered for being anything in this life, give it to me in just one word, go. 
And because I was a coffee bean, guys, because God was driving that car again, I had their answer for him right away. And I fired right back, and I said, useful. I said, I just want to be useful. I said, I can be useful in here, as you've seen, because I was. I was very useful in turning, you know, that prison into a bunch of coffee beans. I said, oh, I can be useful out there in the world and going out there and find coffee beans out there. But I just want to be useful again. Give me a chance to be useful again on the outside. And they did. They said, look, we're going to give you one shot. We're going to let you go. But if you come back in handcuffs anywhere between now and 2073, we will keep you until 2073. Guys, I'm on parole the rest of my life. I'm on parole until 2073. But I don't worry about that. I don't worry about being on parole, being on paper, because I know that if every day I get up and I allow God to, to use me for the things that he needs me to do today for him, and I can go out there and be that coffee bean, then I'll be fine. I don't have to worry about ever going back to prison again, guys. And that's when I learned what the fifth rule about being a coffee bean is. Because I learned this from whenever I got out. And I got out and, and people gave me opportunities to speak for their teams. And, and guys like uh, Randy Ross, the football ops guy at University of Arkansas, or, or Dabo Sweeney, the coach at Clemson, or John Gordon, the best-selling author and huge keynote speaker, have given me these opportunities, these God things in my life. The fifth rule about being a coffee bean guy is that your past doesn't define you. It, does, it doesn't matter about your past. Your past wins don't define you. Your past losses don't define you. I know you tell your teams all the time, the, the, the wins and losses don't matter in the past. What about today? Your past is your lesson, and we learn from our past. The present today is a gift. That's something we've got to make the most of. We've got to go in today and pack as much in the stream of life and become the best human beings we can be because the future is our motivation. And the future is our motivation and future team goals and individual goals. But our future goal is to be a better servant leader one day, to be better, better humans one day. The past is your lesson, the present is a gift, and the future is your motivation. And, and God, I end up every one of these presentations with the same call to action and I tell every group I'm in front of, to, you know, you go out there and you share Mr. Jackson's coffee bean story. But, but when you're sharing Mr. Jackson's coffee bean story, your pot of boiling water isn't prison. That's my story. That's Jackson's story. But your pot of boiling water is life. And, and life is going to turn the heat up on you. And when it does, how do you respond? Do you respond by being that carrot and turning soft? No one wants to be the carrot, man, but it happens. I've been there. Or you, or you're that egg that turns hard. I, I've been there. I've been the egg, too. And, and it's, it's miserable. But the coffee bean, and I tell them all the time, when you talk about the coffee bean, use that positive body language, get animated, man, smile, and get excited. Because the coffee bean jumps into the pot of warm water and says, turn it up, I've got this. And the coffee bean, the longer it sits in that pot of warm water, guys, the stronger that pot of coffee is going to be. And so my call to action to every group out there that I go talk of is to go out there and go be that coffee bean. And that's my story, guys. Wow, it, it's so inspiring, so incredible on so many different levels. First of all, totally appreciate your enthusiasm. You can tell that you are all in, that you're jumping in. There's nothing that's unturned. Even, you know, when you hit rock bottom, and uh, we had a coach on an earlier episode say that rock bottom is a great place to build a foundation on, and your story has totally affirmed that. Um, I want to share something with you that we do in our school. It's, we had the first day of school yesterday, and kids are excited, and, and I teach seventh grade, so they're really impressionable. And I think the reason I teach seventh grade is because I always tell people I'm in the second chance business. We know kids are going to make mistakes, and by the time they get to high school, some of them are on such a, a far path that you can't pull them back. Uh, but seventh graders, middle schoolers, they're still impressionable. And we start 
every day in a small group. I've got 17 kids that I see every morning for 15 minutes. It's a quick check-in. It's relationship building. Uh, it sounds like a lot of people, maybe in prison or your family or Mr. Jackson, they kind of were doing this for you. And, uh, you know, we decided we have to name ourselves and give ourselves a motto. And I have core values that we live by that I see in the, the week around. Uh, all that culture stuff that Coach Weaver and I stand for. And this year, my group is the Coffee Beans. And I shared that oh, story. Man, awesome. <laughs> and I, I shared it with them. And then this is where it gets better because seventh graders are really impressionable. They don't really have a lot of ideas. They want to sit around and see what's cool or what's not. And so I feel like I can sell about anything to a seventh grader, uh, as far, especially at the beginning of the year where they're excited to be back. And I, I said, okay, but I want to leave the motto up to you guys. And I had, I had one girl, she kind of was hesitant to say it, but here's our motto this year. She said, make something of yourself. I love it. I love it. A seventh grade yeah. girl came up with that? That's awesome. Yeah. Man, I love that. After, after hearing uh, the coffee bean story, so we're going to be the coffee beans this year. Throughout the year, I refer to them as the coffee bean. <laughs> On Monday when they come in, I've got a, a handful of coffee beans. I'm going to hand each one to put them in their locker as a reminder. Uh, and when you're sharing your your parole question of what do you want out of this life, I mean, that's what it is. We want to be useful. I want seventh graders who are going to be useful uh, there's a statistic right now that says most of the jobs that our kids that are coming through the system are going to have when they're our age don't exist. And as long as you can make something of yourself, as long as you can transform with the environment, whatever the circumstances, no matter how hot the water, they're going to be successful. And that's what a coffee bean does. So uh, totally resonates with where I'm taking my seventh graders this year. And it's just an incredible story, Damon. Man, guys, I, I, I'm, I'm blown away with what y'all are doing out there. I'm, and I feel like this is the, this is that coffee bean attraction thing that Jackson was talking about. Because remember, he said that, you know, the other coffee beans will find you. We're finding each other, guys. That's no mistake. That's happening because we're all putting that positive energy out there. And that's how it attracts. John looks me up on Twitter, gets in touch with me. We're having this conversation today. And we're all finding out about different ways with which to be a coffee bean, man. And guys, so thank you for bringing me into your, your pot of warm water. Thank you for giving me a chance to hear what y'all are doing and be a part of what y'all are doing, man. I'm, I'm truly grateful for today. Thank you for letting me be useful. Yeah, Damon, uh, our head baseball coach, Alan Pavette, um, he said, have you have you heard the story of the coffee bean? And this kind of taught, tied all in. And I, I run all our culture on our football team. Uh, I, I lead our ninth grade in leadership group. And when he told me that, he goes, have you read this? And I said, no, you haven't. He gave it to me, and I read it in one night. And I, was, I came back, and I said, he goes, are you a coffee bean? I said, absolutely. He goes, well, tell me how you're a coffee bean. And we kind of get into that motto. And he's challenged his baseball players. Uh, we're challenging our football guys. Um, I'm challenging my position group. I'm challenging ninth graders in health uh, about to be a coffee bean and what that looks like. So the, the power of it, and you said the coffee beans will find each other. That's so true, because I'm seeing kids that are coffee beans, that they didn't know what they were. They just knew they were happy and positive, and they wanted to change the world. But how do you do it? You do it one day at a time, and you focus on the moment. You focus on the moment. Absolutely. 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 Because you can't, you can't live in any other moment, can you? Nope. <laughs> you can't it. do more than one day at a time. That's it. Guys, I'll leave you with this. It's, it's funny that you say that, because my sponsor in AA, uh, you know, I'm in, I belong to an AA group. I don't, I don't represent AA or speak for them. 
Well, my sponsor now, he says there's a sign out in front of Joe's Crab Shack, this Joe's Crab Shack he likes to go to, and the sign says free crabs tomorrow. And he said, yeah. the sign always says free crabs tomorrow. So you're never getting free crabs. And that's the thing about it is you can't do more than one day. There's, you know, today is the only day. You have to live in the moment. You have to live in today. And so what's going on today, it's like in recovery. All we got to do is stay sober for one day and do the principles of recovery and do the right thing for one day. And you can get up the next day and say, hey, no free crabs tomorrow. Because all you have to do is just one day at a time, guys. That's it. That's it. Well, and I think it's so powerful what you're saying, too. I mean, going back to that addictive part of your story where you're an addict and you're making poor decisions, but you don't see it in the moment or you're not necessarily sure how they're compounding on a daily basis. And so then you start to make deals with yourself to compromise the path you're on. Oh, I'll just do this on the weekend or I can quit any time, but now is not that time. And so it goes back to that self-talk piece. Uh, and as long as you can remember there's a tomorrow, as long as you can look yourself in the mirror to pass the mirror test for the day, make it through another day, I mean, that is an important message for a middle school person or a high school person who's just trying to get started. Maybe they're – and, I mean, the fact that you're on parole till 2073, I mean, that, that's not, that might not even be in my lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> it might not be in my either. <laughs> yeah, it might not be in my either, guys. <laughs> yeah. And, and the fact that you've made the choice, you've, you've accepted it, you've surrendered the outcome. You know that that's the cards that you have that you've played in your life up to this point, but that doesn't define you. I think that's so important for other people to hear. Absolutely, man. Guys, share that story as much as you can, loud and far. Uh, let's go out there and make some more coffee beans, guys. Absolutely. Damon, thank you for your time. Look forward to seeing you on December 18th. Thanks a lot, man. We'll see you soon. GameStrat is the number one choice for football coaches looking for the most reliable and advanced sideline replay system on the market. More coaches are switching to GameStrat because it simply works when it's supposed to work. And unlike other systems, GameStrat is simpler to set up and use, delivers the fastest video transfer times in the industry, gives you the most tagging capabilities, and has the best game day support. Choose GameStrat for your game day needs. 